You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Banner Monday is coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it is hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Obviously, a huge game coming up Tuesday night against Purdue, followed by other big ro- or home games. You know, Wisconsin's coming to town. Michigan State's coming to town. Rutgers will be in Bloomington for Juwan Morgan and Zach McRoberts' senior day. So lots of opportunities still to go see the Hoosiers at home. Hopefully the Hoosiers play better at home. Uh, but lots of opportunities there. And when you go to SeatGeek, go to the IU basketball page. You will find the best prices on tickets there. And, and you'll also find the best values because SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. And they do that by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value. So SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And every purchase is fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. It's what I use for sports tickets, concert tickets. Whenever there's a live event I want to go to, it is the first place I go because I know that I'll find the best value for my money there. And best of all, listeners of the Assembly Call get $10 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And now, here's this week's edition of Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where each week we kick it off the week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, and that is talking hoops. This is the 16th edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 486th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, February 18th, 2019. I'm your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner moment. And... Once again, the pickings are slim when it comes to finding positive signs for the future of Indiana basketball, such as reality when a once-promising season careens off a cliff with no indication that bottom has actually been reached yet. So all I can really give you right now with a straight face is this. The hope, uncertain as it may be, that Archie meant what he said about, quote, drastic changes during his Minnesota postgame presser. Now, only Archie knows what specific types of drastic changes he may have had in mind when he uttered those words, But he certainly looked and sounded like a coach who was upset and exasperated with his team. So in that sense, he's like the rest of us. But unlike the rest of us, whose only power is to keep supporting the team constructively and to the best of our abilities, Archie can do something about it. In fact, it's his job to do something about it. And for whatever reason, and with all extenuating circumstances accounted for, 
he hasn't been able to do his job very well over the last seven weeks and perhaps even before that. Does it mean I've lost my belief in Archie as the right coach to rebuild IU basketball? No, it's still too early to judge that, and I'm not going to be a prisoner of the moment. But it does mean that there are legitimate red flags that I wasn't anticipating having to acknowledge so early in his tenure. But here we are. And here's where I am as a fan right now. My least favorite seasons are the ones in which I am forced to admit that I'm jealous of the way Purdue plays. And right now, I am, because they play harder than we do, They execute better than we do. They shoot it better than we do. They play together more than we do. I hate seasons like this. And the reality is that I don't think there is any set of drastic changes that can be implemented in two days that can change the execution, shooting, and togetherness parts of the equation. But there is no excuse, not ever, for Purdue playing harder than we do in this game, especially in our home gym. So while I want to see a win on Tuesday night, and we're definitely capable of doing it, as I'll discuss in segment three, and the evening can't be considered a true success unless we do, in fact, win the game, what I want to see more than anything else is for us to just play as hard or harder than Purdue for 40 minutes. And yes, even if it means Archie's players force his hand and he has to go deep into his bench to prove a point, and we get drilled by 50 points. Because I'm at the point where I'm willing to lose this battle if it means setting the proper tone for the war Archie is trying to fight to rebuild the culture of IU basketball. In any type of leadership position, what you emphasize and what you allow is what you'll end up getting. And I believe too much listless and prideless play has been allowed in the cream and crimson jerseys this season, especially this past Saturday. And again, this is even with all of the many reasonable explanations and extenuating circumstances of this season acknowledged and accounted for. The effort at times from some players has still been unacceptable. I think Tuesday night is an important moment for Archie Miller as Indiana's basketball coach. His team is wounded, its confidence is shot, and its collective back is pressed firmly up against the wall. We could use a game against Prairie View. Instead, we get a rivalry game against Purdue. So in the face of crisis and adversity, what will Archie emphasize and what will he allow? It's time to go back to the basics and reset the standard for what it means to wear the jersey. Play hard all the time. Because without that, nothing else will matter anyway. And joining me for today's mailbag segment, he's a columnist for The Big Lead and a host of The Hangover. It is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, your opening statement for this week's Banner Monday. Let's just get to it. You said everything right there. Honestly, I I just think that you're right. Uh, There needs to be some kind of reset with this team. And uh, however uh, Archie can send a message is is the way it needs to happen. And we talked about it after the the Minnesota game this weekend. I I agree. I think it's time for... uh, for everybody to just sort of have their come to Jesus moment and, and figure out that, look, if you don't do this, this is how you're going to be remembered as a team that blew a great opportunity. And, and it's time for these guys to, to figure out what they want to be remembered for. Yep. How was your Valentine's day? By the way, we missed you. It was lovely. Good. Was lovely. <laughs> um, okay. Let's, uh, Let's go to some questions here. We're going to have Mike DeCourcy here uh, in a little bit to do our Big Ten Roundup. I'll have a preview of IU-Purdue after that, but we've got a lot of good questions. So let's hit those. And I think you know David's question that we'll start with, Ryan, is really the best one to kick it off with. So David asked, what drastic changes can Archie really make at this point to turn things around for this season as opposed to merely building for next season? Do you think he was referring to sitting certain players or something schematic? So before you answer this, you know, and we just talked about one, obviously just, you know, playing harder. Let's just review the quote that Archie had. He said, for us, this one, this is sort of a deal breaker. We have to make some real, in my opinion, drastic changes to the way we're doing things right now. We've got to get some guys attention and we need to get some guys to play better. I take that to mean less schematic and more attitude, but 
you know, and, you know, parsing words of a press conference is always silly to do. It could mean schematic, too. So what do you think are some drastic changes that could be made at this point? I think it might, you know, be the coaches coming together and figuring out, like, how do we practice? Like, what is going on here? How do we warm up? How do we, you know, I it, it takes to me that means, yeah, uh, it, it has to be a change in the attitude for sure. But I also think that as a coaching staff, you have to examine, like, okay, why is the message not getting through? Why are we not? What are we doing that is causing this? And, you know, it may be as simple as, you know, the order of your practices, like how you run practice, all of that stuff, uh, I think can have an effect on things. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we, we won't know until we hear stuff coming out of practice about what, you know, that has changed or what's different. Uh, I do think it's, it's time to stop being, uh, defensive about these guys at all and start attacking and start being, you know, Hey, if you're not playing right, get off the floor. And, and, and there's enough coddling that goes on in college basketball these days. It's not Archie. It's everybody. It's just the personality that now it's time to use the bench as a weapon. You've got a little bit of a deeper group now. <clears throat> and I think that you can definitely uh, go with it. And, and, and I think that you need to put in guys like Race Thompson more. You need to put in guys like Deron Davis for longer periods of time. Guys who are going to play, guys who are going to be out there. And, and, and affect the game. And if you're not affecting the game, if you're Justin Smith and you're sleepwalking through the game, uh, you're out and you're not coming back in just because you were a starter earlier in the season. Yeah, you know, I thought we saw one change at the beginning of the Minnesota game. You know, we switched up the starting lineup with Deron Davis in there. You know, it'll be interesting to see if they do that. Certainly, they're going to have to make some changes, for example, to the way they're defending ball screens because Matt Harms absolutely killed them with that in the Purdue game. So you're going to have to do some of that stuff. You know, what I do wonder on offense is if they try to do anything to try to manufacture some points. Do you maybe focus a little more on trying to get some offensive rebounds? Do you try and push it even more in transition? Because this team is just really struggling to generate points. And, you know, that's the, the, you know, the one area that I could see maybe offensively where they have some room to just try some different things. We talked about, you know, after the Minnesota game, try and get Romeo the ball in, in a few different situations. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they try anything different there just to shake things up. But I think the yeah. biggest thing, you know, the biggest thing is attitude and obviously shooting, you know, and, and I mean, Indiana's going to have to shoot well. We'll get to that. Say, but, they have to make some shots. Yeah, they got to make some shots. And, and you know what? Sometimes making some shots can really get your enthusiasm and get your attitude going. This team needs to not be dependent on shooting well to play well. That's a problem. Um, but that's the other thing. So if, you know, if there's some different ways they can try to free up Al Durham to get him, a, you know, a three-pointer, those would be some of the things that I would look for. And, you know, this is the kind of game where you throw out everything you've got, you know, and, and see what works from a coaching staff perspective. So I'm as interested to see it as anybody on Tuesday, but I think the biggest thing has to be the effort and the attitude. Yeah, you can't no hold push. anything back in this game either. So just go. I mean, whatever you got, go. Yep. Uh, okay, next question from Bill. Uh, what is your estimation of the coaching staff's responsibility for the effort and performance breakdowns based on your understanding of where players' responsibilities for preparation and, most importantly, execution of the game ends and that of coaches begin? And, you know, this is always an interesting question because it is blended. There is shared responsibility here. Now, I think Colin Hartman made a great point on the Grueling Truth podcast about, you know, as a player, you have to hate to lose. Like, it has to bother you to lose. And it seems at times like maybe guys on this team don't feel that way and don't take it that seriously. But then at some point, it becomes the coach's job to, you know, not let it be acceptable for you to carry that attitude out there on the court or sit you down and, and prove a point with playing time. 
where do you fall on there, Ryan, for where the responsibility of the coach begins and where the responsibility of the player is? Um, I think preparation is on the coaches, and and I think that at some point, you know, uh, once you're on the floor, the player has to know what he's doing, and the player has to be prepared enough on his own to to sort of survive out there and, and figure things out. And and you know, it's the there's that uh, attitude of some coaches will say, you know, I won't call a timeout when things are going bad because I want them to figure it out. I want them to play through it and and solve the problem on their own because later in the season, you may not have, it may not have a timeout to use and you need to know that these guys can play through it. Um, I, I think that at some, at some point, the players have to take responsibility. I think, as we've said, during a losing streak, it falls on everybody. It falls on the coaches, what they're doing, the practice. I mean, if you're if you're losing, you can't run the same practice every day. You know, I mean, you've got to do something else and you can't do the same film session and you can't do the same pregame meal. Like, I mean, you know, and we have no idea if those things have changed at all. Exactly. You know? we don't. But I'm just saying, like, you know, the coaches have to realize that and have to be able to adjust what they're doing and just the system isn't working. If you're losing, OK, we got to change the way we're running our offense, you know, because it's clearly easy to stop. Um we got to get better at our rotations on defense because it's clearly they're beating us. You know, I mean, it's it's little things like that. The coaches have to know that adjust change. We're not in practice. We don't know what's going on. Uh, I would assume these guys are smart enough to know to change things up a little bit. I mean, just knowing what I know about these coaches, they're not sitting back on their heels and just saying, oh, it'll get better. Uh, but at the same time, you're right. Players do have to hate to lose. And they have to realize that in the moment when a, another team scores you have to take offense to that as opposed to like in a key moment when a team scores you have to take offense to that and as opposed to shrugging your shoulders and being upset about it and saying oh we're just going to lose again no you have to do whatever it takes to prevent yourself from losing like they did at michigan state this team is capable of that they absolutely are we've seen it this season for some reason that magic has gotten lost and i don't know who's to blame we don't know what's going on behind the scenes we don't know any of that um it could just be that the injuries came at the wrong time. These guys got out of their rhythm and never got back into it. And and that happens. It's not acceptable, but it happens. And and the key is finding a way out of it. And these guys getting together with the coaching staff too. You know, everybody's involved and and, and figuring out a way to reverse this trend. And it hasn't happened. So I, I sort of put it on everybody. I really do. And and there's different phases of the game that are more on the coaches than the the players and all that stuff. But at the at bottom line, if you're looking for who to blame for this, everybody involved. I mean, it's it's been a disaster and there's no way around it. Yeah. You know, if a coach can never reach a player and a player doesn't start giving more effort, that's on the player. But if the coach keeps playing the player 30 minutes, that's on the coach. You know, if at some point you don't draw the line and have a standard that must be met. The thing with preparation is you don't really know without being in practice. Like if for some reason Kalsher from Minnesota just wasn't on Indiana's scouting report as you got to pay attention to this guy and not give him an open three, well, that's clearly on the fault of the coaches. and That's how Indiana defended him at times. My guess is that that was probably on the scouting report and the Indiana players lost him and lost a little bit of concentration. And so that would be on them and on the coaches for not reinforcing it during the game. So, I mean, these things really, you know... They go together. Ultimately, the ultimate responsibility is on the coach, and that's why I think this is a big spot for Archie Miller on Tuesday. Yeah, the buck the buck certainly stops with the coach because the players aren't going anywhere. They're they're right. on scholarship, and if if you keep allowing things, they will keep happening. So you have to have there has to be a point where you're just not going to allow certain things anymore. 
And that standard has to be more important than the moment, maybe. So to me, that time is Tuesday, and we're going to see uh, if the team is able to respond because it seems like Archie feels the same way. And now we'll find out as, you know, how well he can affect it, at least with this particular group of players. Um, let's see. So Scott said, is there known dissension on the team? Also, now that we have depth back and a team like Minnesota plays without a traditional point guard, why don't we ever try to press and turn momentum around? So let me take the first part of this sentence. There have been tons of rumors flying around about different things and dissension. Like, I have literally heard from different people that there's dissension and that there's harmony on the team, and that's part of the problem because the guys won't speak up to each other. I've heard lots of different things. I don't know. So there's lots of rumors flying around until they're confirmed. Who knows? You know, certainly this doesn't look like a team that has great on-court chemistry, um, but there could be lots of explanations for that. So I don't want to get into it much more beyond that because, you know, I don't really know what's true, and I've heard varying reports. That's, you know, about as candid as I can be or want to be about it, really, because I don't think there's anything else I can say that would really be useful. As to pressing, I think that's an interesting question. You know, you talk about drastic changes. Maybe you do. I know Archie is committed to his defensive system, and I'm fine with that. Maybe you do add a little press, add a little pressure, do something like that to try and get some transition buckets. Even at the risk of giving up some easy buckets on the other end, maybe it gets your offense going, and that builds some enthusiasm for this team. You know, it depends on Archie's confidence level in doing that, how well he thinks the team could handle it. I'd be fine with that. I think that seems like a reasonable suggestion. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that as far as pressing goes, I mean, well, like as far as the dissension goes, we don't know. Um, you know, there are rumors and rumors and rumors, and that's really all you can go on. And it's kind of dangerous when you do that because when teams are losing, you notice all of a sudden there's dissension. When they're winning and it's the same guys, everybody loves each other. So and a fight is a good thing. Oh, these guys fought in practice. You know, yeah, like exactly. <laughs> so it's all spin. I mean, look, guys get frustrated with each other during losses. That's yeah, the best friends can get frustrated with each other during losses so it's really hard to know from the outside and i talk about all other reporters unless you're in that locker room seeing these guys interact consistently and getting leaks directly from coaches uh yeah you probably don't know what's going on so what i, what I will say about the the pressing thing is look the the pack line defense which archie miller is married to has of very specific needs and and things like that. I will say though, Archie's pack line is far more aggressive than many other pack line defenses, and I think that pressing is something that I think is certainly worth considering, uh, even if it's not a designed press, but it's just full picking up full court man to man. Um, I, you know, on the ball carrier or on the ball handler at least, you know, and not not necessarily picking up full court man to man on everybody, but I think that picking up full court man to man on the ball handler. To change it up, I would say you can't. I wouldn't do it every play because then you get a press break design and whatever. But you know, ev after every second make or something, you send your guy out and and you know, I mean, whatever it is, change it up, surprise them a little, make them work a little harder to get into their offense. I think that might be a good thing to do. Um, again, I'm not the coach, but I, I think that certainly changing up something like that, you have enough athleticism on this team to make a move like that. But uh, it, the coach has to feel comfortable with it. And he has to feel comfortable that if you do press, everybody knows their responsibilities and you don't get beat with it. And that's the big thing is that this team doesn't seem great about detail. You know, doesn't seem super detail oriented and doesn't seem super focused on, you know, everybody else's responsibilities. And if you're pressing, you need to know everybody else's responsibilities and how to, you know, help each other out. Yep. 
Uh, Lee wonders, is Race Thompson the real deal? His play in the Minnesota game was the only plus that I saw. Hopefully he will be a valuable asset for the rest of the year. Agreed. He was our banner moment in that postgame show. He got the game ball. It was the one positive to take from it. You've been high on him. Just take a minute or two and remind folks of what kind of player race is because hopefully we do start to see more minutes from him down the stretch. Yeah, and and really the last video we've seen of him, we saw a little bit uh, at Hoosier Hysteria and we saw a little bit in that Minnesota game and and a little bit earlier in the season, I guess, you know, some real quick stretches. But um, the guy is a really good player and the player I compared him to in high school, what, two years ago now, because he enrolled early when he committed, I compared him to Juwan Morgan. I think he's an inside out guy with a lot of athleticism. I mean, he's not, he's not Justin Smith leaper or whatever, but he has enough versatility and athleticism to, to make things happen. I think he's a solid defender. I think he can step out on the floor and shoot. I think he's uh, going to be a post guy first and, you know, a guy who plays in the, in the paint, not necessarily a, back to the basket straight up post guy like Deron Davis but I think he's a guy who's going to play in the paint and step out and be able to shoot the ball um, obviously I don't know what his shot looks like because he took so much time off uh, for his concussion so maybe he's off a little bit right now uh, that would be understandable um, but I think he's a guy who's a great feel for the game I think he's a really good solid all around basketball player this is a guy I thought that by his final season would be an all big 10 type player uh, that's the kind of guy you need coming off the bench as a freshman to help you uh, just like we all were really super high on Jerome Hunter, and we thought he would be a guy who would really help this team off the bench. So, yeah, I, I think that he's a guy that we've certainly missed, and I think that he's a guy who needs to play at the end of the season. He's definitely a scrapper. He fights for rebounds. He fights for the ball. He is a guy who he, who takes offense when he doesn't get the ball, and and that's something that Indiana has been missing and definitely needs. So I, I really like Ray Thompson. I'm very high on him. Have been very high on him since the day he committed. I think this is the kind of player you need in the Big Ten, and the kind of player that maybe Indiana is missing with a little bit of their depth. Mike says it appears uh, that Brooks is uh, Keon Brooks is now a done deal to go to Kentucky. Uh, question mark. So if you missed it over the weekend, Keon took an unofficial visit to Kentucky, saw their victory over Tennessee. Uh, apparently had a great time there, as pretty much all visits uh, seem to go. I would say I've talked with probably three or four people about this who would you know have some kind of insight on the situation. It definitely seems like Kentucky made inroads. If you were of the opinion that IU was in the lead for Keon. You know, it certainly seems like at best Indiana's even, and I would say based on things I've heard, it seems like Kentucky is probably the leader there. Um, but you know, nothing's official yet. We're going to have to wait and see. Um, so I, I, I think Keon's parents would like him to go to Kentucky, and I think that's yeah. And it, it's not a done deal because he hasn't announced yet. But it certainly seems like the winds now are blowing away from Indiana. Yes, for for whatever reason, you know, and people want to immediately blame it on the recent play over the last couple months. And that certainly couldn't have helped. Uh, and I think any parent would maybe have some question marks about why a coaching staff, you know, couldn't maybe stop the bleeding, you know, or, or kind of get this figured out. But it's always going to be more than that, you know, because we've seen lots of guys commit to programs that seemed absolutely rudderless at the time, mm -hmm. and they still commit. So look at Vanderbilt. Yeah. So That's you know, five stars, and were terrible last year. And then have been terrible this year. Too. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help. You know, clearly it's not going to help in the moment. No, but I don't think it'll ever be the determining factor. So I, I honestly just what I'm getting from the vibe from the recruitment is his parents think he's a one and done. Kentucky's used to dealing with one and dones. Um, Michigan State was also pretty in with his parents. I mean, they they liked him. They've been recruiting him forever. 
Yeah, it seems like he's moved away from Michigan State, and it looks like it's Kentucky or Indiana. From what I have been told for a long time, Keon loves Archie. He would love to play with Trace Jackson Davis. That's sort of their dream is to play together. Trace is recruiting him very hard. Trace has not wavered one bit on his commitment to Indiana. He is still all in on this program. He's all in on Archie, as is Armand Franklin. Those guys have gotten really close. Uh, I think Keon's family wants him to go somewhere that is – used to dealing with one and dones and they see that Romeo is struggling at times uh, to play within a system that is designed to play as a team, not to single out guys really well, which by the way, I think Archie needs to do a better job of maybe singling out guys occasionally. I mean, Romeo, I think it's on him, but I also think it's on, uh, on the coaching staff to get him in situations where he can shine a little bit more. Uh, we've seen that from time to time where he disappears in games. I think it's partially his fault for being a 19-year-old. I mean, not, you know, saying his fault. He's a 19-year-old who is playing against the best defenses he's ever played against. He's going to disappear in games for some times. So that's part of it. But I think that, you know, you've got to be able to put a guy in a position to succeed. And I think that sometimes this coaching staff doesn't. But that said, um, I think that there's a reason that Archie Miller's building his program that way. And it's to feature a team, not just a player. And um, so I think that the Brooks's family would, would prefer him to go somewhere that's used to dealing with one and dones and used to showcasing those guys a little bit more. And Archie hasn't had experience doing that. Romeo is going to be his first one and done. So it, it makes sense to that degree. I'm not uh, criticizing his family for saying that, uh, for doing that. They're doing what's best. They, they are pushing for what's best for his son. I was told a few weeks ago that Keon wants to go to IU, uh, but it may not happen but what he wants may not be what happens. Now he may want to go to Kentucky. I don't know. That may have changed with this visit, but I was told a few weeks ago that Keon definitely, his preference was to go to Indiana, but it might not happen because of family pressure. Um, now he may be all in on Kentucky. I don't know. I haven't heard anything, um, but I think it's fair to, fair to put that out there now that it looks like the winds are blowing away from IU. I think that he really preferred to go to Indiana and uh, that's not the situation anymore. It doesn't look like um, okay, looks like we have time for one or two more questions here. Uh, let's see, from Bill. <laughs> Do you feel the fan base is going off the deep end with some of the more radical posts? Uh, Aaron said, I think when our is fan, fan base, base is way overreactive to everything. <laughs> when is this fan base ever not going off the deep end? I mean, I love our fans. I think they're great. And the passion is always amazing. All that blah, blah, blah. Oh, your Indiana fans are amazing. Uh, they are amazing. And it's a great fan base. And it's a diehard fan base. Uh, I wish more of them would show up to games. Hint, hint, students. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think that, that every time something goes wrong, the sky is falling and it's hard for this for some, for some, no, no, of course, of course yeah. we're talking about the, the I, I just want to be clear. I just want to yeah. be clear. We're talking about that end of the fan base though here. When you say the fan base is going off the deep, we're talking, yeah. there are plenty of people who say, okay, Archie's in the second year. He doesn't have all his players. There've been injuries, blah, blah, blah. We saw what he can do earlier in the year. This has been just a crazy thing. I mean, Look, there was one thing about this losing streak that we can all say the ball has not bounced Indiana's way once during this stretch of play. It really hasn't. Now, that's not the whole reason they're losing. I'm just saying sometimes when you're playing poorly, you need to get a little luck, and Indiana just hasn't. Like Ohio State, that Ohio State game where C.J. Jackson hits a 30-footer, flat-footed from... The ball just bounced their way. You know, the ball, it just, things just went their way in that moment. And it was the perfect time to deflate Indiana. And Indiana came down. And when you're not playing badly and things start to go wrong, it snowballs. Or maybe the next time CJ Jackson's going to shoot from there in a close game, you just tackle him. 
just because we know what's going to happen. Just, just don't let him get the shot off. <laughs> I, I had a perfect angle on that shot last year in the overtime when we were there, and that <laughs> broke my freaking heart. Um, but then you know, Bohannon hits that shot off his back foot, fading away. I mean, sometimes things don't go your way. Now, sometimes you play bad and you don't deserve to win, but the ball bounces your way and you wind up getting a win. And you're like. Whew, Okay, we escaped that. This team has not had that this year. <laughs> it really hasn't. And it's sad because sometimes when you're losing, you need a fluke win to just sort of say, okay, we can play bad and still win and give you that confidence. This team hasn't had that all year. Uh, it hasn't earned a win, certainly. But you know, sometimes you don't earn a win and it just kind of bounces your way. Um, so I will say that. Uh but I, but about the fan base, I'll say that, yeah, I mean, I think that everything when everything goes wrong, and I think that some people can realize, like, okay, the injuries, they got out of rhythm, they did this, they did that, these aren't his players, blah, 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 and, you know, the ball hasn't bounced their way also. I think enough people can say that and say, like, look, you look at what he's done for the program in a macro sense, and it looks like everything's moving in the right direction. This individual season has been poor. Last year, you watched them, and they fought for everything. They just weren't a very good team, but they fought. They fought. They fought. They battled. They fought. They fought. And this year, it's been the exact opposite, where they've got enough talent. They just are not fighting. And that is concerning. It's concerning that Archie's not getting to them. But I also look at his history at Dayton. I look at what he's done for this program so far. I look at how the team was playing earlier in the year before injuries really sunk them. And I look at it and I think, okay, that to me looks like a long pattern of who this coach is. And then you look at this last stretch of 10 games and you say, that is the, that's the outlier, not yeah. what happened earlier in the year. And I think that you have to be able to assess that. Now, of course, when you're in the middle of the Big Ten season and you're losing to teams you shouldn't lose to, everybody's going to flip out. And that's understandable. And it happens particularly with this fan base because... People are very short-sighted, and they're desperate for a title. And it's been a long time—the long time since Indiana has had a title. So, and yeah. there's an outlet for your immediate frustrations that gets broadcast to the uh, to the world. You know? Yeah. Doesn't... Why did we decide to do this again? <laughs> yeah. Or, or why does Twitter exist again? Yeah. Exactly. Um, um, any final thoughts, Ryan, before we move to our Big Ten roundup? Oh God, let's just beat Purdue, please. <laughs> Yeah. I really, it's going to really affect my week if we don't beat Purdue. <laughs> um, no, I mean, this team, I, I want to see some guys who haven't uh, been playing as much get a chance. I think that 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 uh, Deron Davis is starting to look healthy, and I think that he needs to play a lot. I think Race Thompson needs to play a lot because he certainly earned some more minutes uh, if he's healthy enough. As many know, minutes as they can handle. If, if his conditioning is there, he needs to play a lot. So yep. uh, that would be uh, my only thought for this. I. Uh, Let's go out and let's let's just beat the boilers. God, people, if you're in town and you're thinking, well, it's cold, we're going to lose, and it, just go to the game. Stay for a half. If it's a bad game, fine. Do what you were going to do, but go to the game. We need to pack that place. This is Purdue. This isn't, you know, Iowa a few weeks ago. This is Purdue. This is a big, big, big game that means a lot, regardless of how the season's going. This game means a lot. So go out. And uh, and 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 show your uh, show your support for the Hoosiers, even if they're not playing well and maybe haven't earned it right now. Somewhere, Fran McCaffrey's face is very red after hearing that. It's melting. It's melt. It always melts. <laughs> I don't know how it regenerates, but yeah, it's always melting. Uh, all right, coming up on the assembly call, it is time for our Big Ten roundup with Mike DeCourcy. What did he make of Indiana's awful performance on Saturday? How does Nick Ward's injury impact the Big Ten title race? That and more coming up in our Big Ten roundup. Stick with us here on the assembly call. 
Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to get an objective opinion on our Hoosiers and to look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference. And there is no one better to do that than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN in addition to his great columns for the Sporting News. Mike, as always, welcome to Banner Monday. Oh, I'm very happy to be here, Jared. Yes. So let's get the... Let's get the bad stuff out of the way first, and the bad stuff in this segment has become uh, the IU basketball talk. So since we last talked, uh, Indiana lost again. They only had one game this week, so they lost once. It was a terrible performance at Minnesota, uh, clearly one of the worst of the season, if not the worst of the season. What did you make of that listless performance in Minneapolis? Well, I, I, it starts with uh, you know, you're already carrying around uh, the weight of of your own losing streak and you're playing a team that has some level of desperation and it isn't easy to play unless you are specifically good at turning teams over. And that's not really how the, the Hoosiers defense is designed and it's not really practical. You know, it's not, it's not practical for them to say, okay, on this occasion, we're going to be different. Uh, I, I suppose, uh, that you might have tried something different given the fact that you've lost so much, but I'm not sure that they're built to be a great pressure defensive team anyway. I mean, they're not particularly long at, you know, on the ball uh, for either of their players. They often play a smaller shooting guard when Al Durham's on the feet, on the floor. So it, it, when you look at it, you can't say that you're, that you're built to make it a difficult game for, Minnesota, especially on their home floor. So you have to play well. And they didn't play well at all, in, really, in any phase. Uh, they were beaten up underneath, which a little a little surprising, but that's where Minnesota is strong. Uh, they, they weren't able to execute offense uh, at, at a particularly uh, effective rate. And then defensively, you know, I, at, at times when you thought that they might be able to find their way in, um, players who, you know, when, when, when Arch said we're living and dying with the same mistakes, I think I know exactly what he was talking about. I'll be interested to see Tuesday night, whether I'm correct about that or whether he's going to follow up on that particular statement. What do you, what are the, some of those things that you think he was referring to? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think I've talked before about the, the, the errors and, and the lack of attention to detail from Justin Smith. And I was I was specifically watching. There was one play uh, that we that by you know by happenstance that we highlighted, and I, and I, I I didn't ask for the play or anything like that, but it was in the highlight uh, on BTN on Saturday night. And at that point, the announcers working the game mentioned that Jordan Murphy had 14 points in the book already, and I think it was still before halftime. Uh, and yeah, it was before halftime. And on that play. They ran a simple uh, ball screen action, and Justin goes with the ball. And Murph, Murph loops around to the backside, and he's wide open. He's got 14 points in the book. It's almost it's not even halftime. How do you not attach yourself to him? That's the kind of thing that happens over and over again. And so that you know, and 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 it's not just just it's not only Justin. Say just Justin. It's hard to say. <laughs> not only Justin. Uh, but that's a player that I've seen make a lot of mistakes. Uh, you know, the most glaring, obviously, is the way he read Ohio State's last play 
uh, or last last their last scoring play, the one that led uh, to the dunk that became the game winner for the Buckeyes a week ago. And I, you know, I don't know how far you can go into a season and still be making those kinds of errors. Yeah. So something I want to get your perspective on, I was doing some research for, you know, a, a little mini segment that I put out this morning about the three point line and how the three point line has really told the story of this big 10 season. Cause if you look at teams, you know, how they shoot percentage wise, the percentage that they hold opponents to, and then the attempts that they allow. So kind of a combination of percentage and volume on offense and defense and kind of average out those metrics. It tracks very closely to the actual standings. And like Northwestern is a bit of an outlier, but their shooting percentage is so low. They're good. They're good in the other things. And that's, you know, part of the reason why they've faded. But otherwise, it really tracks closely to the actual standings. No surprise, Indiana is, you look at the average of all those metrics, Indiana is dead last. And so, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on that kind of overall, that trend. And specifically as it relates to Indiana, are you at all concerned that Archie Miller's philosophy is behind the times when it comes to the three-point line, or do you think Indiana's issues the last two seasons have been more about roster construction or a combination of both? Well, I, I think it comes down to if you have shooters, you're you're going to make shots. And if you don't have shooters, you're not going to make shots. Um, you know, I look at uh, I, I look at his teams in the past at, uh, at Dayton, and I don't recall that particular issue. No, uh, he had some good three-point shooting teams at Dayton. So, it, you know, so I, I wouldn't say that it's a philosophical thing. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at them from last season on Ken Palm, um, excuse me, from two seasons ago on Ken Palm, and they were 53rd on offense. Uh, they were, uh, from three-point, they were 35 in the country. Uh, that was the last Scoochie Smith team, the one that uh, played in the, in the um, NCAA tournament here in Indianapolis. Yeah. And so... Uh, you know, I would say that that's not necessarily a problem. I just, you, you got to have guys who can make shots and, and they have not, you know, they have not had that. They have not had guys who shoot it confidently. Uh, I think Al Durham can shoot confidently. Uh, he makes shots, but he's a six, one, six, two shooting guard. Who's not a great defender. And I don't blame Al for being Al. I think if there's any player on the, on this team that I have not looked at and said, man, you know, what's wrong there? Uh, or why did he do that? Or whatever. I mean, that guy's been consistently who he is and you can win with him. When, when, you know, that, that, uh, that, uh, I don't want to say rant because it wasn't really a rant, but the, the oratory that Matt Painter, uh, did post game on Saturday, that's been getting a lot of attention. Al Durham fits into the category of what he's talking about. He's, he's what you want. And so, but, but at the same time, he, as the most reliable shooter on this team is not somebody that you can play 35 minutes a game and expect to win in the big 10. He's got to play a specific defined role. And I think they've been able to do that with him, but the guys who are on the floor a lot have to be able to take shots and willing or willing to take shots and able to make them. I, I, I see again, Robert Finnessy running away from open shots. Uh, it was a problem back in December. The problem abated as they improved as a team. And then the problem comes back as the team starts to fade. Well, those things are somewhat connected. Uh, it's not, you know, it, when you run an offense and a guy like him gets an open shot and doesn't take it, 
makes a pass to a guy who's more guarded than he is because he's unguarded. That's why you take the shot. So you make the pass into a more guarded situation. Your offense dies. We've seen that a lot. And especially the last few games, you're seeing it again. And that, that can't happen. I mean, you look at Kentucky and Robert is a better three-point shooter. Maybe not statistically now because the way things have gone, I don't have to look it up. But as a, you know, you put him in a gym with a rack of balls like we saw on Saturday night in, in Charlotte, and Robert's winning the three-point contest against Ashton Hagens. But Ashton Hagens isn't passing up those shots now. I mean, it, it, he didn't make them against LSU, and his shot looked off, and he looked like he needed to get it in the gym, but he took them because, because he understands and he's accepted that if he doesn't take them, the offense dies. So as a result, Kentucky comes back after, after the LSU game. And, okay, they didn't go in that game, but he comes back the next game and they blow out Tennessee. Well, Robert's got to take those shots, and, and he's got to be confident. And Romeo has to be more assertive as a shooter, even though his number's not good, because you're, you're, you're a star. I mean, you're a, you're a star-level player. And you showed in, in certain circumstances when the money was on the line, late Ohio State, uh, the, 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 the latter part of the Michigan State game that you actually won, that, you know, if you're, if you're locked in, you can make those shots. So fight to get them and fight to take them. And, you know, there's so much talk in, in basketball about selfishness. It is the most overemphasized thing in this game. Look. Part of your job is to make shots if you're a shooter. If you're a perimeter player or if you're a stretch four, that's part of your job. And people get reamed all the time. for Like, we know what a selfish shot is. A selfish shot is one pass and it's up or dribble down and it's up. We know what that is. But we run four screens for you and you get open and you don't take it. That's selfish. So you have to be willing to do that. I'm not talking about taking hard guarded shots. I'm talking about taking open shots or when things maybe don't go and they're not always going to go because you're playing good teams and they got you scouted. When things don't go well and you're getting laid in the shot clock, take the shot. Get yourself to as clear as you can get and take the shot. That's that's part of basketball. People in the game, because selfishness gets thrown around so much, sometimes guys get the feeling that if they take the shot, then everybody's going to be mad at them. And I think that's I think that hinders players from being the best they can be. Bob Knight used to talk about it a lot. You know, I mean, it's not a democracy. The guys who are the better shooters should be shooting, and other guys need to set them up for shots. I love it. I love it when yeah. you rant about that because you're so right about it. Yeah, I, I, I it disappoints me. And I wrote a piece about it uh, two two weeks ago. Maybe talked to Justin Wright Foreman from Hofstra and Marcus Howard from uh, from Marquette and, and Antoine Davis. Who everybody's everybody in Indiana will remember Antoine Davis is a little bitty kid. Heck yeah! Now one of the leading, I think he is the leading scorer in NCAA basketball. Uh, you got to be those guys. They all talked about the mentality of a shooter and a scorer. And I talked to Sam Hauser, uh, Marcus Howard's teammate, about you know what it's like to play with a guy like that who's taken some tough shots and some odd looking shots from time to time. And Sam said sometimes you're out there and just like a fan. He didn't use the term just like a fan. I'm, that's inserted in parentheses. But just like a fan, you're sitting. He's sitting there, and he's like, "Wow, he's taking that." And then it goes in, and you're like, "Okay, we're good." <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I mean, that's Romeo can't be in the background 
in the way that he was in the first half against Minnesota. He might as well have left. Um, other than getting the one, his using his one experience to play at Williams Arena, first 20 minutes, he might as well not have been there because he was not playing like he was involved. He was not assertive. He was not engaged. He was not fighting to get shots. That's a guy who should be fighting to get shots every time he's on the floor. Whether or not they run the same actions or similar actions to what Iowa does, watch a tape of Jordan Bohannon trying to get open for a shot. I mean, that guy is fighting every second to get to get you lost. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not the necessarily the Indiana offense, but you can fight every second to get the guy lost, even if you're running tighter sets. Yep. Agree with all of that. All right, let's move on. Let's look around the Big Ten. We'll start with the power rankings. What's the top four, and how do you project Nick Ward's injury to impact that top four moving forward? Well, uh, it doesn't change a lot. Uh, Even though Michigan lost at Purdue, uh, everybody else pretty much except for Michigan State sort of left them, you know, allowed them to to stay in place. Uh, Michigan State won two this week. Uh, That brought them even from a record standpoint with the Wolverines, but I, I still think overall resume, Michigan's a shade ahead uh, with better wins. Uh, Michigan state still has that volume that really helps. And, uh, you know, if they were able to get a split against Michigan state, uh, they may shade ahead because uh, uh, I, I, it's really going to be hard for Michigan to close against their schedule. It's just which is very, still very difficult. Still have to go play at Maryland, among other things. Uh, third, Purdue's hanging in there. Uh, again, re- full resume, more than league performance, but they're playing They're playing very well. At, uh, or they're, they're getting good results, I should say. <coughs> Excuse me. They are not playing particularly well at this point, which makes it interesting. I mean, IU may look at a team coming in wanting, win, having won X of X, whatever it is, eight and nine, whatever it is, but the coaches are going to look at the tape and say, you know, right now, this is a team that is vulnerable. I mean, they have won, but they have not performed well. They didn't play well against Minnesota at home. They didn't play well this past weekend against uh, uh, against Penn State. They turned it over 23 times at home. And so I'm not saying that they're a bad team, but I'm saying they're a team that's not playing at their peak level. So as much as, as ominous as it, ominous as it might seem, um, this is an opportunity for IU to get some, to get a win that would resonate for them. Uh, and then the fourth team is Iowa, although they have not played well either. They've been very fortunate and they've been very clutch. And there's that you can be both. I, you know, there's a <clears throat> there's a body of thought in basketball that winning close games means you're lucky. I don't buy into that at all. Uh, I think the uh, now I, I will say that. You know, throwing the ball 75 feet in a situation that probably called for it to be thrown 45 and having it tipped, fortunately, to your best shooter or your or your or your, you know, or, or your best, you know, your best perimeter player in Matt, we- in, excuse me, in Joe Wieskamp. Um, you know, that's fortunate. And having him bank in a three from the dead corner, that's really fortunate. But to be the kind of team that comes back from 12 down against Northwestern, that's not fortunate. So. I'm putting them there for now. They got to play better, but uh, they're getting the results. You say Purdue and Iowa not playing great. It's all relative because we would take their brand of not playing oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> <Absolutely. now. laughs> but you know, um, 
you know what was said before it came on about not getting any of those lucky breaks. I mean, you're not you're you're not getting Joe Wieskamp banking in the three. You're the victim of that. Uh, you know, on on in like uh, the CJ Jackson shot. Excuse me, the CJ Jackson shot. Uh, I mean, look, he had to have courage to take it, and and he had to have the confidence to make it. But that was a that was an offensive disaster set. And he was not badly guarded there. I think he could have done a teensy bit better job, but he were right in the play and he made it. And that's happening to you. Uh, that's, you know, I think what Ryan said was 100% on. I'm so glad he's not here to hear that and have it inflate his ego anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's let's kind of go around. Now that we've done the power rankings, what, you know, just from the past week, what players, what teams caught your eye? No. Well, I think the first player that caught my eye was Isaiah Roby, and mm. he had a double-double on Saturday night in their second consecutive victory at Nebraska. And what was interesting was that after the game, Chris Collins talked about how in doing the defensive job against Nebraska, he was pretty comfortable with how the the Wildcats had played, and he pointed toward Isaiah Roby's shot attempt number, 19 and said, if we can hold him to 19 points on 19 shots in, in that particular matchup, we've done a good job. And he's right. However, Isaiah taking 19 shots for them is the kind of thing that we just got done talking about with Indiana. He stepped forward. Now, it took a and like he didn't step forward immediately when Isaac Copeland went out. Um, it was still a dance to get him there. But Saturday night, he stepped forward. And he had to, or they, or they maybe lose to the Wildcats. So he steps forward. He takes 19 shots, only made seven. But that assertiveness is reflected in a lot of different ways. It reflects through also getting like 16 rebounds and also blocking uh, Vic Law's layup attempt and basically stealing his soul away. I mean, that's, that, that all filters through. So when I see a guy in a certain circumstance, I mean, like, I don't want every guy out there going out and taking 19 shots and only making seven of them. But if I've got a guy as talented as Isaiah Roby, and my biggest problem is getting him engaged in being a, a high-level option, whether it's first option, second option, if getting him to accept that, then when I see him take 19 shots, even though he only made seven, I'm delighted. And so that's why he's on the list. The other two um, from Penn state. Now they, they only went one and one, but that's a big step up for them right now, as you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and I thought that the two guys that, you know, they've had, they've had uh, great play all year from Lamar Stevens and Josh Reeves is his value is muted on a team. That's not winning. So like, you don't notice what he does when you're on a losing team. He's a he's a guy that you know fits into that Purdue category of guys who who makes winning plays, but if he's on a losing team, you don't really feel it. So the guys that have needed to make the difference were the freshman guards and Miles Dredd and Rashir Bolton, both had excellent weeks. Rashir had 17 points in the in the tough Purdue loss. Uh, Miles was a, a key factor in the Michigan win. They both played well in both of those games. You know, I look at uh, Rashir, who's a guy who has he's a guy who's needed to stop, you know, making the same mistakes that he's made over time. He came in making mistakes. You go back to the DePaul game and the Gavitt games, a lot of mistakes and those mistakes persisted. And you saw them when the Hoosiers won up there. 
And last two games, he's had a five, at least five consecutive double-figure scoring games. But more important than that, last two games, he shot 50% or better from the floor. That's a huge step forward for him. I just got done telling you about a guy that maybe you don't worry about only shooting seven for 19. Miles Dredd is not a guy that you want shooting seven for 19. Mm-hmm. They got other, got better options around him right now. You want the ball in Miles Dredd for three-point shots. You want the ball you know, in Lamar Stevens anywhere he wants it. You don't need Rasheer Bolton taking that many shots and missing that many shots. So the last two games were significant progress for him. So as we look ahead, Indiana obviously has three huge matchups coming over the next seven days where they play Purdue, then they have Iowa, and then home against Wisconsin. So, I mean, you know, that's kind of scary when you look at it from the perspective of how Indiana's been doing. And, you know, if you have any sense of optimism left, you also look at it as an opportunity to, you know, get yourself righted and and get some wins if you can actually turn things around. Outside of those matchups, which all IU fans will be focusing on, what are some of the other big matchups coming up in the Big Ten this week? Well, uh, you mentioned before about uh, the idea of Michigan State, and we didn't really get into what Nick Ward, yeah. uh, what difference he would make. So let's let's start there. I mean, they go, the Spartans go to Michigan State. Excuse me, the Spartans go to Michigan next Sunday. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a that's an enormous this game. upcoming this upcoming Sunday. Th- yeah, th- this, yeah, this coming Sunday. My bad. Uh, so you, it's an enormous game, CBS, 345. That's a showcase time slot for them. And obviously it's one versus one at the moment. We don't know for sure that that'll still be the case and both got to play and all that. But uh, I know uh, Michigan's got to beat – excuse me, Michigan State's got to beat Rutgers at home. Uh, and, and they've got to do that without Nick Ward, which is a challenge. Because Nick, you know, where they lose, they got bodies to throw. I mean, Xavier Tillman, although he's a little foul prone, uh, you don't lose – much, if anything, on defense. I mean, Xavier's probably a little bit better defender than Nick is. You lose a little bit of physicality there because you got to move Nick, which isn't easy. Um, but you you still got a guy who's a big body and Xavier Tillman who's a little longer than Nick and, and has a, a good bit more spring. Uh, so you don't lose much on defense, but you lose a lot on offense. And you've already lost Josh Langford on offense. And you're not getting much from the players now the, the, the oddest dichotomy of this season, Jared, is when Josh was out with the possibility of coming back, Aaron Henry and, and Kyle Arns were playing really well and really productively. And as soon as it became announced that Josh wasn't coming back, those guys' production just dropped off a cliff. Like, oh, wait, we're out here without a safety net? Uh, what do we do? And And so it's completely changed. And so... Now you go from you, you go from uh, being down one key option to being down two key options, which puts more pressure on the point guard, uh, Cassius Winston, to play to, to score more and to create more because he can't just rely on throwing it into the post to Nick and seeing what can happen, uh, and he can't drive it and kick it to the to the one wing because the one wing isn't shooting the basketball or isn't making enough of them. Uh, and so your options are really down. Plus, that also increases the pressure on Tom to not go to his bench. He's not used Foster Lawyer probably enough, especially in games where they had some comfort. Uh, I, I think that he could have used him more. Now he's going into a you know don't, he's certainly not going to go into Ann Arbor and feel really excited about putting Foster out on the floor. 
And so cash plays 36, 38, 39 minutes. Look, I, I'm not a believer that, that that wears out a guy over time, but it does wear out a guy in game because he's going against a guy usually who's maybe only played 32. So that guy's a little fresher. He may not be as talented as cash is, but in the 39th minute, maybe he's a little more effective. So I think that's a problem for Michigan State. And so I think that's where Nick's absence really starts to, to bother them. They, they have to have Henry and Arne step up. They have to get their running game going again. It didn't go at all yesterday. And they were playing at home. So, you know, go on the road. Maybe you don't feel like yourself and you don't run as much. But they didn't run at all yesterday. Uh, they, they, that, that was a big problem for them. So they've got to get moving. And that and that that will help them maybe uh, negate a little bit what they lose in the half court without Nick. So let me close with this question that someone asked me yesterday, uh, Sunday. It ruined my Sunday, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to ask you because I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Indiana has six games remaining. If I set the over under at wins in their remaining six games at one point five, would Ooh. you take the over or would you take the under? Wow. Yeah. Okay, so. Got to win two. Got to win two. Two at Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan State, at Illinois, Rutgers. Okay. I think I'd go over. Yeah. I do. Because uh, you still, you know, you have home games. You have four home games, two road games. Um, yeah, I think, they, I think they're going to win two, I, at least. Uh, I, 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 will be, I won't be shocked if they don't. I mean, they, they've played poorly enough to this point that, that one could certainly see them losing all of them. Um, but, uh, I think they're going to win a couple and, you know, I, I don't think they're in quite as good a shape as Rutgers is. I mean, I went on TV and I said that if Rutgers, not Rutgers, Nebraska, I went on TV and I said, if Nebraska goes 500 down the stretch, they're going to the tournament. That's what I, I, and I, I believe that because if you look at their schedule, there's quality wins up and down. It's almost all quad one from the, the rest of the way. Now going 500 against this, against that slate is a mountainous challenge, especially for a team that's as limited as they are right now. But it's something for them to shoot for. And I don't think that the Hoosiers can do that. I don't think they can go 500 and get in. They're too close. You know, their their record's only 13 and 12. So 500 gets you basically to a game over 500. So yeah. uh, that's not going to do it for them. They'd have to go four and two at least and maybe better. Uh, so... I, I don't think it's getting you to the tournament if you, you know, if you win two or three, uh, but it can get you back on track toward, toward succeeding as, as the program moves forward and, you know, maybe get you, you know, maybe get some of the bad karma out in the out of the recruiting hunt and it get people yeah. understanding that this has been an aberration. Maybe get to the NIT. You know, get get some kind of post. That might employee. be that might be difficult from that standpoint as well. Although the metrics would help, you know, the yeah. net and all that. Um, if you do what I talked about, your net ranking is going to be good and solid. And you know, I think in an RPI year, you wouldn't have a chance. But with the net now being the factor, and again, the NCAA owns the NIT. They select the teams. Uh, you know, different committee, but same deal. Uh, so I do think that you know they they would have a. I, I remember one year. I don't know whether it's. 2000 I'm trying to remember me 2014 one year when the Hoosiers were uh were you know not a tournament team under yeah. Tom it was after they got good enough 
to win again. And 2014. Kimberly, it was 14. 14. Yeah. Okay. So, and I'm walking around the, um, the locker room after they lost on Friday, I think it was at the conference tournament and people that, who were reporters saying, what do you think about the NIT? And I'm saying, trying to whisper in her, they're not going to get in, you know, cause that, that was the standard then the RPI and they weren't, mm-hmm. they weren't there, but if this team gets, you know, gets good or gets, you know, performing down the stretch, that is still a goal because of the change in the metric. But wouldn't it be ironic if Nebraska doesn't make the tournament in a year, they go 13 and five in the conference and they do make it in a year, they go like eight and 10 or like eight and 12 in the conference. That would be crazy. But that that is, you know, when, when I say, and I say emphatically that this is the best conference in college basketball. And I always worry, well, but people are going to say you work for the big 10 network. And I do. But a year ago, I was not saying that. I wasn't saying anything close to that. And I can I can specifically remember when I sat February 1st, 2nd, 3rd, somewhere in there, and we and Nebraska won a game, and we looked ahead. We, we, we put their schedule on the board, and I said, they're in trouble because there, there are no quality wins left for them on that board, maybe one. Um, and, and that was the, or maybe there was one or two. And I think they got one of them. I think they got, they got Michigan, didn't get Penn state, something like that. Mm. And, and we knew, so I wasn't pretending a year ago that everything was rosy. So when I say it is now the best league in college basketball, it is. And if you ask, if you put a Twitter poll up, if I did it now, I can tell you right now, people say the ACC cause they got Virginia, uh, Duke and Carolina. It's not what makes a great league. Great league make is made when. You go out and every single team gives you a game. And when Penn State goes to Purdue and forces 23 turnovers or beats Michigan, the team from first place in the league, or Indiana goes in the middle of a losing streak to Michigan State and gets a road win, this is the best league in the country right now. What a weird result. <laughs> that looks like an hindsight. Hey, make threes. Anything can happen. That's the lesson. <laughs> make threes and play hard and good things happen to you. You know. Yes. Well, Mike, thank you, as always, uh, for your visit. We always appreciate it, and we look forward to talking with you next week, and hopefully we have an Indiana win to discuss. Well, I'm heading down to Bloomington tomorrow night, so... uh, Oh, excellent. I'd like to see the Hoosiers battle. If I see the Hoosiers battle, it'll be a a drive well worth it. Man, I think there's going to be a weird energy in there Tuesday night, I think, because the fan base doesn't really trust the team, but they want to get behind them so bad, and the way they've had bad starts... So important for Indiana to get off to a good start on Tuesday night. Just make some shots to keep the crowd in it. Yeah, I want to see him battle because, you know, that's what makes for good games. And and yeah. I didn't see it Saturday. I don't think obviously no one did. And and that's, you know, that's not good for anybody. It's not good for the uh it's it, it it's not, you know, it's not good for the game when guy when teams don't don't battle. And I will say that, you know, I mean, I haven't seen I've seen this team play without confidence, but I I, I that was the first team that I saw that was the first game that I saw that there was, you know, a sense of capitulation in that game at some point. Yeah, well, there definitely was. All right. Well, enjoy your time uh, in Bloomington. Hopefully it's a good game and hopefully you get to see an IU victory. Well, enjoy it, Jared. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Sounds good. Thank you, Mike. All righty. Coming up, we will talk briefly about the Indiana-Purdue matchup that is coming up on Tuesday night. Beyond simply playing harder and tougher, as we already talked about, what must Indiana do to compete and win this game? We will discuss. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call.
Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week, our final segment is dedicated to previewing Indiana's upcoming opponent for that week. This week, that opponent is Purdue. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock starts on ESPN2, I believe. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about it in segment one, the importance of just playing hard, like just a baseline standard. Put that Saturday game against Minnesota in the rear view. You know, Indiana did play hard against Ohio State, against Iowa. Didn't execute very well, but they played hard, and we've got to get back to that. And I would say even ratchet it up another level. I mean, really just have a fire, have the kind of effort that we want to see from this team. That is obviously the baseline. And then, you know, as Mike DeCourcy talked about in that last segment, Purdue, you know, look, they're 18 and seven. They've won 10 out of their last 11, I think, as Indiana has lost 10 out of their last 11. Yeah, but they, they lost recently to Maryland, didn't shoot particularly well in that game, have had closer than expected results against Minnesota, against Penn State. So they're not exactly firing on all cylinders. Um, but Indiana clearly not firing on all cylinders anyway. But that's, you know, it's important context. You know, they're not coming in here, you know, red hot, but they will most likely be raring to go because it's, you know, they're an experienced team. They've got, you know, good togetherness, uh, and it's a rivalry game. And they stepped up to the challenge more than Indiana did in game one, and that is something that we have to get reversed. So I, I just want to go through some keys to victory. I think you all are pretty familiar with Purdue's personnel at this point. You saw the first game. So what does Indiana need to do to win this one? Well, the first one to me is I think we need to have an actual home court advantage because Purdue has not been great on the road. They are undefeated at home, but they're just four and four in true road environments this year. But of course, Indiana has lost four straight at home. And so that's what I'm saying. Like you don't have a home court advantage just because the other team is playing in your building. You know, if Purdue has watched Indiana's last four home games, they're going to come in here really confident because we haven't played well. We haven't played hard enough and tough enough uh, to defend the home court. And we've let other teams be way too comfortable, you know? And as I just mentioned, I feel like there's going to be kind of a weird energy in there. You know, uh, hopefully it's a packed house. It is Purdue, but you know, there is apathy with a certain amount of fans who have gotten sick of watching, you know, the product that this team has put on the court for the last seven to eight weeks. And there's a lack of trust right now among the fan base for the team. We don't know which team is going to show up. We don't know if they're going to come out, you know, and play hard, play with that fire. And so I think Indiana needs to get off to a good start, you know, because the crowd wants to get behind this team and will if the effort that is being put out there on the court is worthwhile. And so it's so important that we not cede that advantage, especially in this game. You know, I don't know that we'll be able to have a home court to match what they brought at Mackey simply because they're having a better season and that tends to, you know, give you a better home court. But as close as we can come, to doing that for this team in this season, it would go a long way toward you know toward being able to win this game. So that's the first thing. And as much as I think it's incumbent upon the fans who are there to do everything they can to get riled up, the most important thing is the team, the way they play on the court, being worthy of that kind of 40-minute support. So that's what's most important there. And Indiana needs to recognize that and use its home court advantage as an actual advantage. Now, look, you get beyond that, okay? If you can do that, if you can play as hard or harder than Purdue, now where's the game going to come to? Frankly, I think it's kind of simple. Uh, you know, and it's, it's simple, at least in the explanation. It's obviously not simple in the actual execution, but it's beat Purdue at the three-point line. I mean, beating Purdue in a lot of ways comes down to that, okay? Because, number one, Purdue is not good at defending three-pointers, all right? They actually allow more three-pointers to be attempted than any team in the Big Ten, and they are 11th in three-point percentage defense. 
That is not good at all. The thing is, even with those terrible metrics, they still outpace their opponents from the three-point line because they take more threes than their opponents. 43.2% of their attempts are three-point attempts, which is crazy, but it's first in the Big Ten, and they hit a high percentage of their threes. They hit 38.1% of their threes. So they take a lot of them, they make a lot of them, and that helps them counterbalance the fact that they give up a lot on the defensive end. But in their three Big Ten losses, okay, in those three losses, the opponent made more threes and shot a better percentage than Purdue. That's the Maryland game, the Michigan State game, and the Michigan game. There's only one other time that happened, and that was the Nebraska game when Nebraska shot 10 of 24, Purdue shot 8 of 20. So, and Purdue won that game, so they still you know, made eight three-pointers. It was still a decent shooting game, but that's the only time. So if you can make more threes and take more threes than Purdue, or make more threes and shoot a better percentage, you've got a chance to beat them. Now, that doesn't sound like a very clear path to success for Indiana, because Indiana's a team that doesn't shoot a ton of threes and doesn't make a lot, and I would agree with that. I mean, I, you know, I don't, there's a reason Purdue's favored, and there's a reason why probably if I was betting on the game, I would bet on Purdue to win. But if you want to beat Purdue, that's what it's going to take. So I think on the one hand, you know, you have to hope that, that Purdue just doesn't have a good shooting game. But more importantly than that, your defense has to help force them into a bad shooting game. And frankly, Indiana did a pretty good job of that in the first game. I went back and looked at that first game. And Indiana held Purdue to 7 of 22 shooting from downtown. That's really good, considering what Purdue has done this season. Because they've hit seven or fewer three-pointers in only four of their Big Ten games. And they're 2-2 two and two in those games. So in Purdue's building, Indiana got that part of the equation for beating Purdue right. And it's not just that they shot a poor percentage. They just didn't give them that many three-pointers. And granted, you know, we saw that focus on you know, defending the three-pointers and defending the ball handlers and pick and rolls come back to bite Indiana because then Harms would just slip those screens. So, I mean, they're going to have to do a better job there. But Purdue's biggest weapon, they didn't allow them to just totally go nuts. And that's part of the equation for beating Purdue. You know, the 22 threes that they took in that game, that was, uh, there's only three games where they've taken 22 or fewer threes. So again, Indiana had at least a good game plan to try to take away Purdue's strength. All right. Now the issue and the big issue in that game is we just shot (laughs) terribly. I mean, we couldn't capitalize on it because we shot four of 20 from downtown. So they shot seven of 22. We shot four of 20. So as bad as they were, they still outpaced us from the three-point line, and we weren't able to make up ground in any other area. Because the other thing that you need to do to beat Purdue is you got to beat them at the three-point at the free throw line. In each of their three losses, the opposition has made more free throws than Purdue, and that makes sense because they don't take a lot of free throws. A three-point shooting-oriented team, you wouldn't expect to take a lot of free throws, and they don't. You know, and they're they're about average at keeping other teams off the free throw line. So you have to use that to your advantage and make up what they might beat you from the three-point line, you've got to make that up from the free-throw line. And once again, you know, Indiana did that from an attempt perspective. Indiana took 18 free-throws in that first game, and Purdue only took 13. But Purdue made 9 of their 13, and Indiana only made 7 of their 18 free-throws in that game. So, you know, as much as kind of the formula for victory that Indiana had in their grasp in that game. We all watched that game. Indiana wasn't focused. And once things went badly, Indiana didn't play well, didn't play you know very hard, you know, just didn't compete very well in the second half of this game. So I'm not saying that it just came down to shooting. I think shooting was reflective of the overall 
kind of crispness and focus and fight and all of those things, which I think sometimes shooting is reflective of, not always, but sometimes. But, you know, just look at that. If nothing else changes in that game, as badly as Indiana played, if nothing else changes, if Indiana just shoots its season average from three, which isn't good, if they just shoot that season average and go six of 20, and they just shoot their season average from the free throw line, which also isn't good, and they go 12 of 18, the score is 70 to 66. So, you know, I say all this because, you know, again, these are important parts of the formula for beating Purdue. And I know that our memory of that game is a bad one, and it should be. And it felt like it was bigger than a 15-point loss. I think Indiana scored a few points there at the end. Like, the game felt more out of hand than that. But still, there were opportunities there for Indiana that Indiana just didn't take advantage of. And so if you can fight for 40 minutes, which Indiana didn't do in that game, and if, you know, if Purdue has a similar type shooting game and the game profile kind of goes how that goes, you know, that's a formula for Indiana having a chance in the game. Now, they're going to have to shoot well. They're going to have to make shots, but they give themselves an opportunity which, you know, in the most recent game against Minnesota, they didn't even have a chance. You know, in, in the home games against Nebraska and Michigan, they didn't even have a chance. But I think, you know, if they can follow that, it's not like what happened in the first game. You know, if that happens again, there's just going to be no shot if Indiana can bring the effort and the fight that we've been talking about. So when I kind of looked at that, I felt a little bit better. Now, on the flip side, you could say, well, you know, Purdue doesn't shoot 7 for 22 very often. They could very easily go 12 of 25 from deep and make it even worse. And that's a very fair point. And again, I think that's why Purdue is probably likely to win. But we're talking about keys to victory for Indiana. And it isn't necessarily doing something totally outlandish that you haven't done before. You follow the same formula that you followed against Purdue, but you play harder and you maybe shoot better on your home rims. And now it's a much closer game. So if you want the hopeful explanation, kind of the hopeful scouting report for you know how Indiana can get in this game, that is it. And then I would add this, you got to get 20 meaningful minutes out of Deron Davis. He only played three minutes in that first game. You know, Travion Williams didn't have a huge game for Purdue, um, but he was relatively efficient, if I recall. He played 13 minutes, yeah, had eight points, you know, four rebounds. Deron can get in there and kind of change the equation for Indiana, as we've seen. You know, typically Indiana shoots better uh, from downtown. When Deron is in there, he can go get you some easy buckets. You know, Matt Harms is taller than him, but he's not going to be able to hang with, you know, Deron's physicality down there. Now, on the flip side, Deron is going to have a real hard time if he's trying to defend, you know, Harms out on the court, you know, garden ball screen. So you're going to have to adjust there. But I think having Deron on the court is so important for what Indiana wants to do. And that's another reason you know, to feel a little bit better about this game is you didn't have him in that first game and he makes a really big impact for Indiana. And then, you know, I think the other thing that you've got to do is, and, you know, we've talked about this. We talked about it on the Minnesota postgame show. We talked about it earlier today, but, you know, help Romeo get the ball with more space, more momentum, you know, whether you try some different things or, you know, maybe it comes down to just executing what you're going to do better. You know, maybe, you know, the screens that are being set have to be better. You know, maybe the Romeo, the way Romeo uses those screens, the movement off of those screens needs to be better. So whether it's executing what you're already doing better or adding new wrinkles, you know, the offense needs to help create opportunities for him. And then he's got to be aggressive. He was terrible in that first game. It's the worst performance he's had all season. He had four points. He was two of 10. I really felt like he forced some things late. He was 0 of 4 from the free throw line. You know, I know. Romeo, you know, people wonder about his competitiveness because they see the stoic nature. This is a competitive guy. You don't 
do the things he's done on a basketball court without being competitive. And we've seen that fire seep out of him at times. You know, I have to think he's going to take that personally. You know, and you know, no gel Eastern is going to come in and want to do it again to him defensively. I, I don't know. I've got this feeling that Romeo is really going to come and play well. And I don't think there's a chance for Indiana to win the game if Romeo doesn't have, you know, 18 plus points, unless someone else really goes off. But I think Romeo is going to have to have a really good game, you know, 18, 20 plus points. And I feel like he's going to do it. So doesn't guarantee a victory, but I just sense a guy like Romeo isn't going to let the same team, the same guy, shut him down again. Um, and so I expect better from him. And if he can do that, it'll go a long way. So, you know, look, if I had to bet on this game, I don't have enough confidence in Indiana right now to bet, you know, to, to say that I feel confident about Indiana because they're going to have to do a lot of things that we haven't seen consistently. Make shots you know, play, you know, real hard, you know, which they didn't do on Saturday, all of those different things. You know, Romeo's got to bounce back from a bad performance and have a good one. But this is the path to victory to me when you look at this game and when you look at how teams have beaten Purdue and what Indiana has done well when they've won, like make 10 threes at Michigan State. This is kind of the path to victory. And so, you know, if we come on Tuesday night, it's a victorious episode. I think these will be the reasons why. Um, but it's also why the likelihood is that Purdue will win this game but I feel better about it. Like I feel better about our chances certainly now than I did yesterday. Um, and digging into this, you know, I, I feel even better about it. So, you know, probably 60, 40, you know, that Purdue is probably going to win this game. Um, but you know, look, it's, it's college basketball. We're at home, you know, at some point, some of those bounces are going to go our way. And at some point, you know, we'll play for 40 minutes with just that, you know, all-out fight that we've been looking to see. I really believe that. Um, and so hopefully it's this game. Hopefully it's this win because it would obviously be a huge one for Indiana to get. Um, so, yeah, so that's my those are my keys to victory for IU-Purdue Tuesday night. Uh, there's a chance I might not be on the post-game show. Just going to have to see, you know, wife's got work. And so Andy, for sure, I mean, we'll, of course, have one. Andy's uh, going to be on tap to host it. If I'm not there, Ryan will be there. Um, but I imagine I'll probably be able to end up at least watching the second half of the game live and being able to hop on uh, after that. So hopefully it is a victorious episode. Really appreciate everybody who was here live. Those of you in the chat mob, you know, you make this, uh, you make it so much fun to do these shows live, to have you guys here providing so much insight in the chat. And uh, obviously all of those of you listening on the podcast, we appreciate you listening as well. All right, that's going to do it for us on this week's edition of Banner Monday. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat that I just talked about, Join us at assemblycall.com on Monday afternoons for the live broadcast of our Banner Monday recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter, which will make you a smarter and more well-informed IU basketball fan. Thanks for listening. We'll be back Tuesday night to talk IU Purdue. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. 
And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. With three, your entire business is covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this contractor's business is protected by three. Hey, toss me that drill. Yeah, man. Heads up. expensive now this is an insurance moment but three's got it covered three is a product of berkshire hathaway direct insurance company three no nonsense just common sense